work culture in general, like the, the work schedule can be divided into like three chapters. The first being the hunters and gatherers where you really just needed to work as much as you needed to survive, which tended to be less than 40 hours a week. The second chapter being the industrial revolution, but that's where people work like 70 hours a week, apparently, because a lot of that was less of an, less efficiencies. There wasn't as much like tools that are available or automation. And then you have the great depression that really revoked the 70 hour work weeks and um, they needed to spread work around because there wasn't enough jobs available. So they limited that to like 40 hours a week. But since then, like there hasn't really been any innovation around recapturing what or rethinking what a 40 hour work week would be uh, until recently. I want to actually bring the topic towards um, something that I was just researching while I was doing research for this podcast, which is there is this history of like the 40 hour work week that has ex existed for a while. And there is an economist, um, John Keynes, who actually predicted that by 2030, all of us would be working just 15 hours a week. What do you think went wrong here? Well, I don't know if it's what went wrong. I'm not sure what people would necessarily do with their time if they weren't. Uh, I mean, there's many cool things about work. I mean, many of us enjoy what we do. Um, I know I personally would get bored if I weren't doing my job 15 hours plus per week um, because I like writing. Um, I like recording podcasts. Uh, I like um the various things speaking with audiences about this topic it's something that i find mm -hmm. exciting and enjoying so you know i mean there's certainly the question the one of the things that happened is that for many of us work became a lot better like if you are you know doing hard manual labor like there's a real upside of aiming for only 15 hours a week but if you're yeah. doing fun stuff you know with really clever interesting colleagues well, you know, that's got a little bit more competition against leisure time. Um, and, and so there's definitely that. But I think, you know, to get it at what you were asking, um, it, it just people don't substitute necessarily leisure time for work hours because they decide that they can keep their current standard of living and be absolutely fine. Right. Like people did become more productive um, in the economy as a whole. Um, and so theoretically, if we wanted to keep our living standards from the time um, that The Economist made that prediction, sure, then you work 15 hours a week, but people don't want that. They want to continue to raise their living standards. And so we keep, you know, having work hours that are more. But that said, um, many people do work under 40 hours a week. If you look at the, um, you know, work hours that, that people truly log, um, there's a lot of people who are logging under 40. Um, even people who are, you know, in an office from nine to five, there's often time that's taking breaks in there. You know, if you, there's days off. Um, if you look at the actual work hours worked, um, it does come out under 40 on average uh, over the work. Yeah. Population. So it's not, isn't there something, it's not 40 either. It's, it's like in the thirties somewhere. So. Yeah. I get that. Like in terms of the actual productive 
hours logged, that would make sense. But there seems to be still inefficiencies where for one, most people don't do work that they truly enjoy like yourself, which might be writing, podcasting, meeting people, creating. I would say probably 90% of the people are just still doing jobs that are getting them by paycheck to paycheck and the inefficiencies of keeping them in the office or needing to be in their butts sitting down to work, even though they're in a, they may only be working half the time productive hours, seems to be the gap where those people no longer have the time to do and pursue other things that they may actually enjoy or even can earn them more income because of the fact that they were kind of required to be in this office space for a while. Can you speak to a little bit about that, you know, in terms of, you know, well, I certainly think that one of the exciting outcomes of the pandemic is the number of jobs that now do have a remote component. Um, because as you pointed out, there's a lot of, you know, time in the past that has been spent with butts and chairs um, for no reason other than that is how people picture work. Um, you know, you go drive an hour to sit, put your butt in a chair to email and call people in other places. And you may have done what you set out to do for that day by 3.30, but you can't leave because, you know, it would look bad. Um, whereas remote work gets rid of some of this. I mean, there's still obviously the need to be available and to be responsive. Um, but there's, you know, there's just a lot less of like, am I sitting in my chair at 5 p.m. or am I not, right? It's it, Work mm. becomes by its nature more about what you are accomplishing, um, the tasks that are getting done. Uh, versus whether you are sitting in a chair for eight hours. So I think that's a very exciting development. And it was slowly happening. Um, it was, you know, the, the remote work was definitely going up, but then the, the data on it has just exploded in, in any sort of managerial or business related occupation over the past two years. Um, the American yeah. Time Use Survey tracks how people spend their time, has thousands of Americans talk through how they spent time yesterday, um, with yesterday being all 365 days of the year. So they keep you know, calling people and asking them to fill this out. And they found in 2021, um, you know, it was 38% of people did summer all of their work at home on the days they work. Um, and 68% did summer all of their work at their workplace. And in 2019, those numbers were 24 and 82. So there's been this 14 percentage point shift entirely wow. in people who've like left the office just completely and given that some kinds of work absolutely can't be done remotely like you, you know you can't drive a truck remotely you can't be a waitress remotely i mean there are certain things that have to be done in person um so because those jobs couldn't experience that shift like that the shift among jobs that can be done remotely has been even bigger right it's been even bigger than that 14 percentage point shift so that that's kind of yeah. you know an exciting development but to your point about, um, you know, if people are working 40 hours a week, they can't do other things that they might want to do. Um, I know that it certainly can feel that way, but I would encourage anyone who does wind up in a position where you are doing a job where it is paying the bills and that is wonderful. You're supporting the people you need to support. Also wonderful. Um, not your favorite thing to do <laughs> with 40 hours of, of the week. It might help to keep in mind that there are 168 hours in a week. Um, and we mentioned that, that that was the title of one of my early books. So if there are 168 hours in a week and you sleep eight hours a night, so that is 56 hours per week, eight times seven, 56, subtract that from 168, subtract 40 from 168, you get 72 hours left over. 
And 72 hours is not a small amount of time, right? It is more time than you are working. It is time that is available to do things other than work. And yes, work is going to take a lot of energy. And yes, you get ready for work. And yes, many jobs, you do have to go to work and put in the travel time. But even with all those things, there is still some time left over. And I find that if you can keep your eye on that and maybe track your time to see what time is spent at work and what time is available for other things, that can then nudge you to think about, well, what would I like to do in my non-working hours? And are there ways that I can bring my non-working interests into my life um, and, and to take some of those hours and devote them to those things? And yes, you still have 40 hours devoted to work that you may not be thrilled about. But life can feel a lot more wonderful when you are making time for hobbies and passions and friends and family and, uh, you know, learning opportunities and things like that. Yeah, that evening and weekend time is so crucial, right? And I know you wrote the book, I think in like 2010, that, that's when 168 hours came in. But that's when people were still commuting to work, which was probably 30 minutes to an hour each way. So that's around an hour or two per day for five days a week. So like most people probably didn't even have 72 hours. They probably had like somewhere closer to like 50 to 60 with all of the time getting ready, makeup and showering, all that stuff. But with that's remote still a work, lot of time. I mean, I would say like you say it's only 50 or 60 hours, but it's, it's not nothing, right? Like there's exactly, a big difference exactly. between not as much as I want and none, right? You know, and, and yeah. I think being able to live in that difference and being like, the fact that something is not as much as I want doesn't mean it's non-existent allows us yeah. to open up all sorts of other possibilities. Yeah, I know for sure. I, my, my point one really was that with remote work or with people that are being able to work remotely where there is no commuting time, there is really no excuse for <laughs> someone to be able to find other things that they want to do and yeah, like it's, it's interesting to see where this will evolve, like this fourth revolution or this fourth chapter of how work culture has been in the Western culture, particularly. Um, I was reading somewhere like work culture in general, like the, the work schedule can be divided into like three chapters. The first being the hunters and gatherers where you really just needed to work as much as you needed to survive, which tended to be less than 40 hours a week. The second chapter being the industrial revolution, but that's where people work like 70 hours a week, apparently, because a lot of that was less of an, less efficiencies. There wasn't as much like tools that are available or automation. And then you have the great depression that really revoked the 70 hour work weeks and um, they needed to spread work around because there wasn't enough jobs available. So they limited that to like 40 hours a week. But since then, like there hasn't really been any innovation around recapturing what or rethinking what a 40 hour work week would be uh, until recently where people have been advocating the three day work week, the four day work week where they um, would give people three day weekends and so forth. Uh, what, are, what are your opinions around that? And do you feel that it's a sustainable model for more companies and people to do in the future? Do you see that being kind of the fourth chapter of well, the work I week? I think it's just hard to say, right? Because every business operates differently. And while that might be great for some businesses, um, it might not for others, right? It, it's just so hard to know what's going to, um, you know, 
work. And in general, I, I'm in favor of, of kind of lighter regulation of these things um, because I think you can wind up with these big top-down solutions that may work for some group of people and don't for others and, and just, you know, cause problems that, that you didn't, you know, foresee when, when doing. Um, yeah. But I think more than just like how many days per week it is or how many hours it is, what, what tends to matter a lot is how flexible it is. Um, and I particularly have had this conversation with, um, you know, a lot of my readers are women who have kids. And, you know, when they're figuring out how to make the pieces of work and life fit together, one of the first things people suggest is, well, why don't you try working part time, right? Because then it's like, it appears that more hours might be available for other things, other than work and sometimes it works out great and sometimes it doesn't. But what I found from talking to people is that it often wasn't the number of hours they were working. It was how much control they had over them because mm. people who were able to work from home when they needed, for instance, and people who could, you know, choose to leave, you know, work stuff at 3 p.m. someday and then maybe pick it back up at night at 8 p.m. after their kids went to bed or, you know, make up a couple hours on the weekend because they took some time off during the week or start a little earlier someday and, you know, end a little earlier because they had something else they needed to do. Like when they had that ability, the number of hours just mattered far less. Like people can work full-time hours and maintain their family responsibilities and be happy about it. It's only when you say you have to be in the office at these exact hours that it winds up being very difficult to make these dual responsibilities work. So I, yeah. I think that that is, um, I, I, I would say that I would be more in favor of people saying that the work wherever possible is about the task getting done and less about how many hours you are devoting to it and in what location you are doing it. Now, again, Lots of work just cannot be done this way. Like if you, you know, run a dental practice, like you need your hygienist to work the hours that you're seeing patients there. I mean, it just, you know, it's not something that can be done from home and it's not really something that can be done all that flexibly. I mean, you might be able to make flexible shifts, say like, well, if somebody prefers to work a later shift and somebody else prefers to work an earlier shift, let them work it out together and, you know, split coverage of time. That would be great. And good employers already do that. But you, you know, it, it, for places where it is an option, um, being a little bit more focused on outcomes and a little bit less focused on even the unit of time mm. and, and the variable of place um, allows people to live the lives they want and, you know, have the, the professional satisfaction that many of us do desire. Yeah, it is crazy that we force people to work at the same time, at the same day, especially when you work in online businesses where you may have customers all around the world. Like you said, like if you're a dentist and you have customers that are coming in from nine to 6 PM, because it's within your time zone, it's a physical service. But if you run like an e-commerce store, or if you're working for some form of online service where you may have customers from India to China, to the U S like it really does not matter where and when you work. And I personally work like way better, online, like I'm way more nocturnal. And I would probably say I work more hours than if I was to be forced to work in the mornings. And I, yeah, I, I agree with you like that, that number of hours that sh it shouldn't really matter. Um, but I guess, do you have any insights or research around in a typical workday, like 
has there been any research around when, what is like the right number of hours before most people see a diminishing return in terms of productivity? Um, again, it, it, it just varies. I know that most people cannot work more than a few hours in a row without taking a break. Um, that is that is very much true. And people can experiment with it on their own, but for many people it's around 90 minutes to two hours is kind of the max um, of what they can mm. do before- In a row. Yeah, in a row before something needs to shift. Um, and, and it could be a little shift. <clears throat> I'm not saying it has to be huge. It, you know, it can be a change in location. It can be that you get up and get a, you know, cup of water and then come back to your desk after walking around a little bit. It can be that you go outside for a few minutes and come back in. All of those things can add to people's energy levels. Um, but what happens is people think they don't need to proactively plan in breaks. Um, and then mm. you get the phenomenon of your brain taking its own breaks that are taken without permission. <laughs> and so, you know, you're working away and you realize you've read the same email six times in a row and, you know, your phone dings and it's somebody's alert on social media and you go click on it and you, you know, find yourself falling down some sort of internet rabbit hole that can take easily 45 minutes before you realize what you are doing. Um, mm. and, and, and those situations, it's very much that you needed a break. Your energy levels had plummeted significantly. You didn't take a real break. So your brain forced you to take some other form of break. And it wasn't a very rejuvenating one, but it was one that you could take sort of mindlessly. Um, so, yeah. so I think that happens a, a lot. Um, you know, I, I also tend to view it more as like, I, we, we live our lives in weeks. So it's, it's not so much how much you can work per day. I think there's a very strong element of how much you can do per week. Um, mm. And so if you need to work a really long day someday, that can be totally doable. And you could have a very productive day, but it probably needs to be balanced by something that's a little bit more limited um, in the day or two after that in order to sort of sustain the rhythm for, for the week. Um, and sometimes that works better for people. Like they'd like to work a really long day on Monday and have a short day on Tuesday because they have stuff they want to do in their lives on Tuesday. I don't know. They're training for a marathon and they want to run for three hours in the morning or something and, and yeah. start work at noon and work till five. And, and that would be great. Like, and I, I see no reason that somebody couldn't work till 8 p.m. on Monday, come into work at noon on Tuesday if, if they are in the sort of job where they can, you know, it's about what you get done as opposed to what hours you are working. And, and that could be very sustainable for, for many people. Yeah, another one is like theme days that I've heard. Uh, I think uh, Jack Dorsey also does this, who's the CEO of Square, um, which is he has like themes for each day. So Mondays he would do design, Tuesdays he might do like administrative work or hiring. Wednesday could be dedicated to or to product. And he has these like set days where he knows he has to be in a certain mind frame. And obviously like some days would be easier than others as well. But yeah, I think like rethinking the productivity of how you do, how you look, what you accomplish per hour or per day is maybe a little bit short-sighted versus thinking about it, maybe even in within a couple of weeks. And a lot yeah. of people can accomplish more in one week than they can in three weeks of, you know, inefficiencies. Well, thing does, things don't have to happen every day in order to count. And what you're talking about with, with Jack Dorsey's schedule is, I mean, you know, the good thing about setting certain activities for certain days is when you don't do them on one day, 
you don't feel bad about it either. Like, I mean, maybe one day is devoted more to like feedback for employees. Like you have a certain time for that. And maybe it's the kind of thing you want to do more in general, but like you get to the end of Monday and you didn't do it. It, Like you could feel Mm. bad about it. But if you know that Tuesday is the day you generally focus on that, you have permission to sort of do whatever else you need to do on Monday because you know there's time on Tuesday for for dealing with your um, management issues that you you want to tackle. Um, so I think that can definitely work for for some people. Um, but what you're what it really is, what the benefit you're seeing from that is that it's being intentional about your schedule, right? It's about saying ahead of the week, like this is what I plan to do in the week. This is what I would like to get done. This is roughly when I plan to do it. I, you know, I will be hiring on Wednesday. I will be dealing with marketing on Tuesday or whatever it happens to be. Um, and because you are thinking through the week ahead of time and making a plan for it, you are far more likely to follow that plan and to accomplish what you put out as your goals. Um, so, you know, people are like, well, I couldn't just devote Monday to marketing and Tuesday to whatever, you know, I can't do that in my life. And that's perfectly fine. Like you don't have to, but if you can say like, I need to accomplish this for marketing in the next week, here is a time that roughly I would like to devote to it. Then, you know, it's far more likely to happen. And, and, you know, the real, the real pro tip with that is to add a backup slot. Like, you know, maybe Tuesday morning is when you plan to focus on employee feedback. What happens if you have a crisis Tuesday morning? Like you, your, your biggest client is exploding and everyone has to deal with that. Well, it doesn't mean that, you know, feed, employee feedback wasn't still a priority. Like it is, like you still need to do that even if things are on fire around you. Um, but maybe there's a backup side. You say, well, okay, if it can't happen Tuesday morning, it's gonna happen Friday morning. And I am intentionally only putting things on Friday morning that could be moved, could be canceled, whatever, because it is so important to me to have that time for employee feedback that even if something goes wrong Tuesday, I'm going to move that all to Friday and make it happen anyway. Oh, got it. So Friday would be like a backup of the things that weren't accomplished. Cause always, as you know, like stuff always happens. So that Friday would be like anything that didn't happen within that week that could be done on Friday. Got it. Yeah. I think, I think it's so individualized. Everyone's going to have different workflows that will work for them depending on where you work, how you work, what position you are in the company, are you managing people? Um, so I, I think it's really more important to give people a framework and allow allow you guys to kind of test it out yourselves just to see what works best. Um, but just thinking into the specifics around like planning, do you have any frameworks for people that are trying to plan out their weeks? You know, is it like, uh, what are the tools that you recommend people using? Like I personally use like Google Calendar and then like I have like a top three thing that I want to accomplish like on my phone or Notion, um, when should people be scheduling all of this in? And what's kind of been the formula for, for success that you've, you've seen? Well, my, one of my big time management rules, um, and I'll, I'll explain why, but it is to plan on Fridays. So Fridays, I recommend okay. people take, it's usually only about 20 to 30 minutes that you might need, but Friday afternoon tends to be a good point to do this. Um, a, a big reason is that Friday afternoon, most people aren't doing anything else. Like it's very hard to start something new on Friday afternoon. Um, Most people are just kind of sliding into the weekend. It's a very low energy kind of time. But because of that, you might be willing to think about what future you should be doing. Like you're not gonna do the work yourself. You're assigning it to future you, right? Um, and, And so that can turn what would be wasted time into some of your most productive minutes of the week. But Friday afternoon, look at the upcoming week, 
make yourself a short three category priority list, career, relationships, self. And so then you think about, well, what are the big things I wanna accomplish in each of these buckets in the course of the upcoming week? And the upside of making a three category list is that it feels really weird to leave a category blank. So you'll put mm. something in each of those categories and that right there can nudge people to have a more balanced life, like to actually think about what do I wanna accomplish you know, in my relationships? What do I wanna accomplish for myself? What is most important? Uh, but just make a short list. Ideally, these are like steps toward your long-term goals that you can do in the next week. Look at your schedule, figure out where they can go, right? Plan them in. Um, and then look at what is already on your calendar for the upcoming week. Um, deal with that. Like what logistics need to happen? Are there any, you know, sort of big things coming up that I need to prepare for? Um, can I see any logistical challenges? Like, interesting, I'm talking with this team that their meetings always run late and there's something I want to get to that's right after that. What am I going to do about it? Right? Like, but when you see that ahead of time, it allows you to strategize to maybe solve that problem or figure something out. Um, whereas oftentimes when people just go to things one next to each other, they, they don't see the problem until it's hitting them in the face. And then it's usually too late to deal with it. Uh, mm. You can also save yourself time by doing this. Uh, you know, you might see that somebody's gotten on your calendar for 30 minutes for a virtual meeting because you're both working remotely. And it's something that you could handle in a two minute phone call. It's just that the person can't physically stop by your desk. So what did they do? They got on your calendar for a 30 minute phone call. It's like, well, but if you see that and you're pretty sure that's what it is, like you can just call that person on Friday afternoon and figure out what it is and answer the question. Mm. And then, wow, that's 30 minutes. That's, you know, freed up for whatever else. So um, just yeah. taking a little bit of time to be intentional about the upcoming week and, you know, plan some fun stuff in too. Like that relationship priority might be, I want to do this with a friend or do this with my family. Um, you know, have a little adventure on the upcoming weekend. Maybe we'll all go to the beach or something, but you know, it's, spend a little time thinking about it and life is just so much better. Yeah. So you recommend just setting those goals on Friday afternoon and then actually scheduling it in your next week's calendar, knowing that things are going to be moved around. But uh, I agree. There is this like sense of like commitment that you have when you know it's on your calendar. Like, cause I personally look at my Google Cal for everything that I do as, as, as for next steps. And it's like, it's on your calendar. You feel way more, committed to, to actually do it. And I guess doing it ahead of time is, is a best way for people to be more accountable to it. Well, it's just that basically anything you're going to do takes time. I mean, it, it, if it, like what else, what doesn't take time? Like thing, doing anything takes some quantity of time. And so yeah. if there is not a time for it, you are saying you're not going to do it. I mean, that's, basic matter of it. I mean, maybe time will magically appear and you'll feel like doing it. And wouldn't that be exciting? But, mm. um, you know, it's, uh, it's far more likely that if you need to do something that is a two hour task, if you assign it two hours, then it will probably happen. And when stuff comes up, well, where's the backup slot? If it's important enough to you, it needs a backup slot. So where's the, where can you put yeah. it? Um, and if you, you have the answers to those questions, it's far more likely that you'll make progress on your goals. So when people are actually scheduling this in, um, do you have any tips around certain things that should go in certain parts of the day or certain parts of the week? So for example, um, like two things that I do that have worked out and stayed with me for a while, which is doing like the really hard stuff or creative stuff in the morning 
and then saving the administrative tasks. It could be email, it could be like spreadsheet stuff or just reviewing stuff. Anything that people need from me would be done after like 2 p.m., let's say, until the afternoon, because that's when I have less um, brain power, kind of that willpower, and I can just kind of coast through those. The second thing is I like to bunch things in order. So if like there are certain calls or emails, and I like to try to put those in order instead of like once at 9 a.m., once at 1 p.m., because it just kind of gets you out of your flow, I feel. Um, do you have any other tips so that when people are actually putting this in their calendar, they know like what times of the day or what days of the week to put what categories? Yeah, morning tends to be a really good time for getting things done. Um, anything that's gonna require willpower, discipline, focus, most people are better in the morning. It's just the reality mm. of it. You get tired as the day goes on. Um, it's also that the emergencies are more likely to stack up as the stuff comes up as the day goes on. Uh, whereas at least in the morning, you tend to know what's there first thing. Um, it's just that things stack up later. Um, so that means for most people doing it first thing, if it's important to you, is what's going to raise the chances that it gets done. I would say that this works for the week as a whole as well. Scheduling something for Monday morning means it's highly likely to happen. Whereas scheduling it for Friday afternoon, like everything you didn't get to during the week is going to stack up to Friday afternoon. And then you're going to run out of energy and, you know, want to be done for the weekend and you won't do it. Like if you don't absolutely have to do it, you won't do it. Um, so those sorts of things that are, you know, priorities, but are not urgent, they're just important, but they're not urgent. Like they won't happen. Um, so I think yeah. you know, scheduling them for Monday morning is, is sort of your best bet for making sure they happen. And as you said, I mean, a lot of the sort of status check-ins, administrative work, it doesn't require our best self. It's, it's such a waste of mental energy to schedule a meeting that is not particularly advancing something, like people are just checking in and, you know, updating how is things going, you know, for like 9 a.m. I mean, that's, mm. that's people's best time, right? I mean, you might not even need to have that meeting at all, but if you're going to have it, like have it at 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. when people are not at their freshest, they're going to go to the meeting regardless. Like when stuff's on their calendar, people do it, but you know, they won't do the things they don't have to do. So those things are best done when we are best able to handle them, which tends to be first thing in the morning, not for everyone, but for, for most people. Yeah. This is another thing that I, that I want to discuss with you, which is um, like, as I've gotten older, the, the more I found myself saying no to opportunities and thinking about ways that like, I almost feel like the most product, productive thing you could do is to look at all of the things that you have on your to-do list and remove like 50% of them. Because most of the things I feel we put in to-do lists or things that we have on our agenda don't really move the needle forward. And it's so much more about like optimizing or thinking more carefully about the things that you do decide to spend time on and saying no to almost everything else. Um, how, how do you have like, um, how do you encourage people to set up um, certain frameworks to say no to certain opportunities? Or, or do you feel, do you have a different opinion about that? Well, I think you, yeah, it's important to be careful about what you commit yourself to do. Um, and if it's not advancing you toward your personal or professional goals, it may be wasted time. I mean, that's, I mean, we, we, we do want to do some things as part of being, you know, part of a network of human beings, but uh, it, it, it does behoove us to be careful. 
one good framework for thinking about this is whenever you're asked to do something in the future, always just ask yourself if you would do it tomorrow. Because mm. that allows you to, you know, you know what else you could do tomorrow, right? Like there's probably already things on your calendar. You have projects that are in process. There are things you'd like to accomplish. And so you are weighing it against those things and seeing what the opportunity cost is of this commitment. Whereas if somebody asks you to do something in November and it's July now, it's like, well, I don't know. Seems like November me is going to have tons of time. And, and if you look yeah, at your yeah. calendar for November, it looks completely open. You're like, oh, I don't have anything in November. It's like, well, come November, you won't be completely like yeah. everything will be just as busy as it is now. And, and you are going to be the exact same person you are now. Um, yeah. So would you do this tomorrow allows you to ask yourself, is this something I truly want to do? As opposed to like, oh, well, I guess I'm free. So I could make it happen. Um, so, so that, that, that often helps me think about whether it's something I truly want to do. Yeah, it's a good point. Even if I look at my calendar, like, um, like three weeks from now, it looks completely empty, but I know it only fills up like a week before that's just like human, human nature. And I also find myself, um, every, every time I'm like super tired, like in the afternoon or in the evenings and someone asks me something, I always regret saying yes because I'm not in the right state of mind when I'm in agreement of it. And especially if it's a big decision, either I make the wrong decision or I commit to something that isn't just beneficial. So um, that might be another useful point for certain people learning from my personal like lessons is that like any big decisions, you may want to wait until you're actually fresh in mind. Uh, so ask yourself if you're too tired to make this decision as well. Um, there's also the uh, not to do list. I don't know if you heard, this is also something that Jack Dorsey does, which is instead of having a to do list, he makes a thing, a, li a list of things that he isn't going to do on a weekly basis. And this could be like bad habits or things that he knows will distract him from accomplishing his to do list. Um, ha have you experimented with anything around that? Um, I haven't personally, I more find that when I I'm filling my time with the things that I do want to be doing. There's just less time available for stuff that I don't want to be doing. Um, and yeah. so um, I haven't done that. I know other people have and have found it useful. Um, so if there is something that you find yourself spending time on that you don't wish to spend time on and you're pretty sure that you don't have to spend time on it, uh, you could in fact put it on a to-do list, uh, like a not to-do list. And at the end of the day, when you haven't done it, you can cross it off. Same as you know the satisfaction we get from crossing off something that we do wish to do uh, on the list. Um, but, you know, I think you kind of have to know yourself on that one. Yeah, I know for sure. Um, yeah, I think with productivity and time management in general, it's easy to get in the weeds of trying to be super efficient with every second or every task. And, and it's kind of like we're addicted to this idea of like crossing off things on the, on the to-do list. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know your thoughts about this, but I, I often find that trying to be more effective with doing less. Uh, so an example is what are some things that you can schedule in your calendar? So for example, like Jeff Weiner, who used to be the CEO of LinkedIn, he would schedule like blank times, which are like 90 minute or 60 minute slots where he would just do nothing. And it's almost this counterintuitive 
thing of what a uh, like a super efficient person would do because he's no longer in the trenches and he would often have some of the best ideas or things that he would realize that he's just trying to optimize for no real reason. And um, yeah, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like trying to almost not be efficient for the sake of being more effective well, in the long one run. Of the, yeah, one of the reasons I suggest people have open space in their schedule is, you know, what we talked about earlier, stuff comes up. And if something is a priority, you wanna have space to put it even when something takes over the initial spot that you thought you would, would tackle it. Um, so mm. leaving more open space in your schedule allows you to have that cushion um, so that things can get moved when they need to without borrowing time from the next week, which, you know, is going to have crises of its own. So we don't want to keep pushing things forward um, forever. Yeah. And, and if we have open space, we often don't need to. Um, if there is open space, though, you often, you know, if you don't need it for something because things haven't needed to get rescheduled, you can find yourself doing kind of cool mental stuff. Like people read an article all the way to the end. They don't stop, you know, five paragraphs in and be like, I got the gist. You know, they're actually going to read it to the end if it's something interesting. Or, you know, you start thinking about like, oh yeah, that person, like, let me just shoot them an email. Like, let's see what they're up to. And, and you know, you you pay a little bit more thought to like, maybe you're trying to respond to someone and you think about it a little bit more and come up with a new idea. I mean, when you're not totally pressured for time, like your brain can just do all sorts of amazing things. Um, mm. and, and so it's a bit of this paradox because you have to be very good about your schedule in order to have this open space that your brain can then use when it doesn't have the time pressure. Because the problem is like, people are like, well, I come up with my great ideas when I'm not scheduled. So therefore I don't need to plan and schedule. And it's like, well, the problem is if you have anything you need to do in your life, like not figuring out when that's going to happen and having the plan and the schedule for it means you're going to be living in constant chaos and there's going to be constant like need to do stuff urgently and you will never have the mental space to make these breakthroughs. So uh, the, the, the two really work together. Um, if people can't get their heads around the idea of just like completely open space, I mean, you know, where you do nothing, whatever nothing is, I'm sure he's sitting there making notes scary, right? Things. Doing nothing. Go for a walk. Like, cause then it's, it's something that you're, you're physically doing something. And for many people having that slight mental engagement, which it takes to walk around in the outside world. Cause you know, where's the sidewalk? Am I not stepping mm -hmm. on anything? You know, there's just like just a tiny little bit of, of mental energy, but it's not, you know, intellectually demanding. Um, that keeps your brain just occupied enough that it can then sort of mentally work through whatever problems you're trying to solve. And, and that's why people often come up with their best ideas while they are driving or walking or, you know, right. things like that, where it's not intellectually demanding. It takes a tiny bit of brain space, um, but not all of it. Uh, and so, so your brain just starts entertaining itself doing other things. Oh, interesting. So you think that little bit of brain um, energy where you're showering, so you do need to think about like, even though it is muscle memory, like putting in your shampoo or walking to avoid certain things or driving, you think a little bit of that is actually going to be more helpful mm -hmm. for spurring out more creative ideas because it gets your brain activated? Or do you, are you suggesting that more for the sake of just so that people aren't going crazy, just sitting down and doing well, nothing? No, I, I, I really think that's, I mean, there's, there's plenty of people who found they get their best ideas by doing this. And it's like, you're not, it's because you don't have your normal inputs, right? You're not staring at your inbox, uh, you know, yeah. which is which is not very conducive to great ideas most of the time. Um, so you're away from the normal inputs. 
And so you're just allowing your brain to process things, but you're not so bored and like, what am I doing with myself that you're, you, you have that sort of nervous energy um, that would come from actually trying to sit still and do absolutely nothing. Right. Um, so, you know, just a tiny bit of activity, like you're driving somewhere. That's why people get good ideas while they're driving. You're showering, you're walking, you're, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's physical uh, hobby type things like, you know, I've seen people, you know, cross stitching and knitting and that's when they're getting their good ideas is because mm. it just is a sight, a slight bit of, you know, physical energy that is taken a slight bit of mental energy. Um, but it's still yeah. allows your brain to, to wander a little bit as well. Yeah, I wonder what the correlation of being in flow when you're doing none of these, um, when you're not doing really much anything. So like knitting, you, you are somewhat in flow because you have to have a certain amount of focus on something, um, maybe even like doing sports, anything that kind of gets you in that state of flow. Um, do, do you know anything about around like that correlation of spurring creative ideas or insights um, with so, flow? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I mean, I, I kind of think of these things as different because um, obviously you can get in a state of flow with like, you know, creative stuff like knitting and all that. I, I think that maybe is separate from the idea generation part of the things that are just a slight bit of background, uh, you know, physical movement or, or slight bit of mental energy. The times when I'm most in flow is when I'm doing something that is difficult, but doable. And so you're kind of mm. right at the edge of what you can do, but you're making progress. Um, so for instance, when I am, I have a rough draft of something and I'm editing it, particularly if it's something longer, like a book chapter, I can get completely into this state of flow. I mean, just hours go by and I keep wanting, you know, I want to do more with it. Um, you know, I'm, have no sense of where the time has, has gone since I've started or how long I have been doing it. And it's very pleasant. Like I enjoy that. I feel like I'm, you know, really making it better. I'm thinking it through, I'm making my arguments. Um, and so I, when I have something that's in that state, that's ready for that sort of editing, I will try to clear whole days, like, because mm. I want to just be in it, um, as long as possible. Now, obviously you have to stop at some point, like you gotta go to the bathroom, you gotta eat, you gotta, you know, there's just various things that, that need to happen. Um, you know, so we can never, we can never go that long. Um, you're always breaking for something, but, uh, you know, it's, that state of flow is really very, uh, exciting part of, of creative work. And, and if anyone is in that sort of, uh, you know, universe in terms of their work, it can, it can be really kind of cool to experience. So. Yeah. There, there's something, I feel like there is something to that because, and again, I have no idea whether being in flow or doing something that takes a little bit of brain energy is more effective in spurring creative ideas versus just literally sitting down and doing nothing at all. And I don't know if Jeff Weiner, the guy that kind of popularized that, did do nothing or if he was doing something. But there is something to it because most people don't want to just sit around and do nothing. So the idea of knitting or walking or doing something that you can look forward to would be, if anything, just good for the idea of like building habits around scheduling these times to do nothing, because I don't think anyone's going to look forward to just sitting an hour in their living room couch or in the office. Just not something like that's fun for most people, right? But maybe like, yeah, walking around or, or listening to an audiobook uh, outside in the park is something that people can do more regularly. And that would allow in the long run to be more effective 
uh, in terms of scheduling this in. I think there's also just, especially if you do need to produce certain stuff, uh, there's just the phenomenon of having time in your chair without the inputs. And, and so I do know people who are in creative fields who, and I, I, maybe this is what our, our LinkedIn friend is getting at here, but uh, you know, I mean, yes, he's not doing nothing. My guess is he's got a notepad or something and he's writing things down. What he's saying is he's not on the phone. He's not in his email. He's not, you know, meeting with someone. He's sitting there, but he's thinking. Like he's thinking and he probably has a way to capture his notes. Like he's not sitting in a padded room with no materials whatsoever. He's just saying, I am not going to be doing the normal inputs and outputs right now. Um, and I've certainly seen that with a lot of people. Like I was you know, talking with a novelist the other day that when she's kind of in the idea generation phase for her next novel, because she's a career novelist, like she's cranking these out every year or two, um, you know, she will have various ideas, notes that she's written over time. She sits down. She's like, I have to be in my chair for the next 90 minutes, no email, no internet access. I got to, you know, I'm going to do something like I could, I could either bite my nails with the whole time, or I can, you know, play around with these ideas and just write some stuff down and figure out where it goes. And if you yeah. have the habit of doing that, you're going to come up with good ideas, uh, you know, and, and workable book ideas is the key thing here. It's not just getting any idea. It's getting an idea that can sustain a 250 page novel, which is an entirely different matter. But yeah. that requires, you know, just this time in chair spent thinking. Um, and so I think there's something to that. And a lot of us might benefit from giving ourselves that time. And so maybe it helps not to think of it as doing nothing. It's just time without your normal inputs and time without your normal outputs. Um, and yeah. what you do with it. And, and I think for, a few, for, for some people, it may not be the most um, uh possible thing to do this on an everyday basis or even a weekly basis if someone is so boggled down with meeting but one other thing you could do is like the think week which is i think popularized by bill gates where he doesn't look at it per day or per week but he looks at it per year so every year he would go a week and collects all of the books that he can brings a notebook no like, like no internet no wi-fi and just like reads every book and thinks about like how he thinks about the future. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and, and a lot of other people are starting to kind of take this concept and, and incorporate that into their regular years. So that's another way to think about it is instead of doing it per day or per week, maybe there is more long-term thinking you could do by scheduling this in on a yearly basis instead of a monthly or weekly basis. Cause I know it's not possible for, for, for a lot of people. Um, Last thing around around kind of time management is um, to-do lists. What are your opinions around how to, well, to-do lists in general in terms of time management, but how to effectively design your to-do list to make it actually be beneficial for you? Because the downside, uh, just for context, is that humans are wired to add instead of subtracting in, in most cases. Uh, and I think like this guy named Umberto Eco had a great quote around, um, we, there, there, there's something around like um, limiting or needing to constantly add because like subconsciously we're, we're all afraid of death and we like lists because we don't wanna die. Um, it's more like philosophical way to think about it, but um, that's kind of the issue, right? It's like you start with three things on the to-do list and then like by Friday you have like 14 things where only half of them are done. So 
what are some of the things that um, we can do so we can actually have to-do lists work for us to get more things done instead of being an overwhelming crutch? Yeah, I think the key thing is that there is no virtue in putting something on a to-do list and then not doing it. Like it's just as not done as if you'd never put it on the list in the first place, but now you feel bad about it. So like there was, mm. there was no point in it. It's like completely a useless exercise to put anything on a to-do list that you do not actually intend to do. And that by intending to do, I mean, you have the time, you have all the logistics worked out, you have you know, thought through what it's going to take and you have a plan to accomplish it um, by a certain time or whatever. And now, obviously, to get to every, I think of a to-do list as a contract with yourself. Like, these are the things that come hell or high water, I'm going to get to this day or this week. And the reason to make it, you know, a contract with yourself is because then it's useful. Like, then you have decided what you are actually going to do this week. And now you can do those things. And then next week, you can move forward to other things, um, knowing that once you put something on the list, it will happen, Right that's when a to-do list becomes very useful because it's a decision tool. Like these are the things that no matter what else happens, I'm going to do. Now, obviously, as we discussed, life comes up, right? And so in order for that list to still be a contract with yourself, it has to be short. Like it cannot mm. be long it, because, you know, you could wind up in the ER at noon today, right? Like if, if that was to be the case, like, what three things would you really have wanted to do before that happened, right? Like, I mean, you, you just, you have to make it as short and, you know, concrete and actually urgent for today as possible. Um, and then if you finish it and you got more time, like, great, go find some other stuff to do, right? Like, I'm sure you can come up with other things that were not the most important things and the most urgent things for you to do but exist in the universe of stuff that you could be doing. Um, so feel free to go choose some of that um, if you have gotten through the tasks that you have set for yourself for the day. Um, but by yeah. keeping it very short and focused, it becomes useful because once something goes on the list, you know you will do it. And then you feel free to put things for the future knowing that they will happen. Like you don't feel bad that you're not writing that report today because it is on the to-do list for Tuesday. And you know that no matter what happens, you are going to make time for it on Tuesday. Um, you have that time carved out. Like maybe you've even scheduled fewer things on Tuesday, so there will be more space for it. Um, if stuff comes up on Tuesday, you have, you know, made it a free night on Tuesday night so you can work on it then. Or maybe it's even that, you know, very early Wednesday morning, you have carved out time for it if it won't happen Tuesday. But by making it very clear that it is a priority and it is going to happen, you can start to trust yourself with a to-do mm -hmm. list. Um, and, and then it's more useful. Yeah. Yeah. And just to add to that there, there's actually a book around this called the big, the one big thing, I believe, uh, by Gary Keller. He, he, he owns Keller Williams, which is like one of the biggest real estate companies. And he talks about this concept about building his entire success around just focusing on one thing. And for people that even struggle to do three things, maybe starting with like one big thing that will move the needle forward for you, which is actually so hard. <laughs> like think about things that you have to do just one thing and it just forces you, anything that like, constraints or limits you um, is a useful exercise because it really does force you to, just like a tweet does or you know, an Instagram like story does, it really forces you to um, 
think carefully about like, what is that one thing that's going to move you forward? So, um, yeah, I would even encourage people to try like one thing and see, see if that helps with thinking about what the most impactful thing is. Um, Laura, I know you got to run. So, uh, let's talk about your book. So you've got your book coming out or that just came out Trinkly by Tuesday. Uh, where can people learn more about you, the books that you have? And, um, obviously people enjoy this conversation. They should definitely check out the books. Yeah, so Tranquility by Tuesday, um, it's nine ways to calm the chaos and make time for what matters. It's nine of my favorite time management rules. I had 150 people try them out over the course of 10 weeks. Um, I measured everything about their lives before and after and during, and I can tell you that if you follow these rules, uh, you will feel better about your time, um, and you will feel more productive and happier and all that good stuff. So please check the book out. You can visit my website, lauravandercam.com. Um, check out my podcast before breakfast is an every weekday morning short tip to take your day from great to awesome. Best of both worlds. I do with Sarah Hart Unger on how to combine work and family um, from the perspective of people who love both. Beautiful. All right. Well, we'll link all that stuff below for people to check out. Thanks so much, Laura. Thanks for having me. Alrighty. All right. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.